Before we start this episode of Detroiters Doing Good, I think it's important for me to preface what goes on, what went on during my drive over to Brilliant Detroit's headquarters. I live in a suburb, so I had to drive on the freeway to get over there and get off at an exit I w- I've never gotten off at. I wouldn't normally get off at for any particular reason. It's not close to anything you would drive in to go see in terms of attractions. I had to drive past several buildings in dis- absolute disrepair, a couple strip clubs, burned out houses, boarded up houses, right? An area that you wouldn't really want to frequent if you didn't have to, I should say. And people kind of write these, the people in these areas and write these areas off. And I think that that's just quite a mistake. And Brilliant Detroit really proves that. When I showed up there, they turned this old chapel into their headquarters, into this building where the community comes, where the community can help each other. And I just felt instantly when I pulled up to the building, I felt this sense of safety, this sense of belonging. And that's what they're really able to bring to the community. They're going to these areas that aren't the greatest areas in terms of, again, things to see, things to do. But they're really bringing, again, the community together. They're bringing people together. And that's what this interview, that's what this podcast is really about, is bringing people together and seeing the greatness that we can all accomplish. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is Eddie White with Detroiters Doing Good, the podcast brought to you to see uh, what Detroiters are out there, what good is going on in the community, to kind of flip that news cycle. So today I'm here with Cindy Eggleton, who's the CEO and co-founder of Brilliant Detroit, and I would try to introduce it, but I don't think I can do it quite as good of a justice as she can. So Cindy, kind of take it away and tell people what Brilliant Detroit is all about. Yeah, great. And and thank you for having me on this show. Eddie, I really admire what you're doing here with this. I, I love how you're lifting up voices and work in the city. So Brilliant Detroit is about three years old. And basically our mission is to create kid success neighborhoods where all kids and their families, belly to eight, are ready for school, also uh, have well-being and stability. We do this by opening up family centers, in essence, that are houses in the middle of the neighborhood that people can walk to, where we provide programming for kids only, kids and adults, and adults only along all of those lines. We currently have four open locations. We will have six by the end of January and a seventh in February. We serve over 2,500 people. So in the span of three years, this has become a movement, which is what we hope for. And what I say is I really kind of live a fairy tale because the families in the neighborhood are really the ones doing the work. They are the ones moving the needle. And this is providing both a vehicle and a way to do that. That's really exciting, and I was really shocked. I heard about this through a Cranes Detroit business article, and I was really shocked. A lot of the other nonprofits that I was reading about, you know, they'd been established since maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, but here you guys were, started in 2015. I mean, that's the year I graduated high school. You know, that wasn't, for (laughs) me, that wasn't that long ago. I know some of the listeners, maybe that was ancient history, but it really was not that long ago, so can you just really talk about you know, the whirlwind journey that it's been maybe because to me, it seems like you're ahead of schedule. You know, you shouldn't have this many locations by now. You you shouldn't be doing that well. And I know that might be maybe a little cruel to say, but to me, it just seems like you're ahead of schedule. You're really doing a great job here. So could you maybe just talk a little bit about 
you know, what it took to get here and how you've been able to grow so fast. Absolutely. Um, so, so really, I think that there's two themes to me personally, and then I'll talk about how the work has grown. One is I'm old, and since this is a recording, I have uh, white hair, um, so I've been around a little bit. And two is I really live a fairy tale. But on the old piece is I've been in the work of community and families for a really long time. And along the way, what I noticed is oftentimes we are really not asking people what do they need and how do they need it. Our work is developed with a with, for, and by model. So we've really created, in a sense, distribution centers so that people can get what they need, where they need it, and when they need it. I would also say that the other part of the growth is I have the best partners in the entire world, Carolyn and Jim Bellinson. They both bring aspects to this work. And as a team, we've been able to um, create a model that is easy to scale up. Jim Bellinson is a businessman. He has done a lot of scaling in a lot of different ways. Carolyn brings an intense focus in not-for-profits and in general. And I have a lot of knowledge and background in early childhood and family and community systems. So together, we kind of came up with this model. We have a passion together. So when we first talked about this, um, I wanted something that was going to be transformative for people, not just something that was a great 8- or 12-week program. And Carolyn and Jim Bellinson really wanted a legacy. And together, we really started with some what-ifs. And I would say those what-ifs, which are all kids are ready for kindergarten in a neighborhood, kids are reading at grade level by third grade, Families have what they need right in walking distance, and this is organized and moved from a model of self-determination from the, from the neighborhood. Those aspects, we were relentless in putting it together. When we first started, and I think I was telling you a little bit about this, we really didn't want to advertise. We also decided we would not ask anybody for money. We wanted to make sure there was a there here, and that um, this would work, and also that it could be really informed by our families. So three years in, we have definitely gotten to that, obviously from the scale, but even to the sense that two years ago we held our very first fundraiser. Oh man, that's a, can you imagine, does it feel like a a decade ago? I mean. It does, and um, we had uh, a goal of $100,000 that we would raise that year. We ended up raising $1.5 million. Wow. I mean, that's just that, that must just be an incredible feeling. It is. It is not just the money. It's that this model is working. Um, again, with 28,000 hours of programming this last year, people are not just coming. They're coming again and again and again and again. And what that might look like, I think, is sometimes people are, what what does that look like? How do you get there? Is we have 80 partners in the work, wonderful other not-for-profits, that really we're helping it all be coordinated and continuous. So you may come to us as a pregnant mom, and we, we would work with Make Your Date to assure that you reach your due date, which is critical with 90% of the brain being developed by age three. We need to start off right. Then we might work with Black Family Development in a program 
which is called Lena Start. It's also in conjunction with Wayne Chap. And what that does is it actually records the number of utterances that are happening between a child and a parent, as well as turn-taking to help build their brains and to assure there's no deficits regardless of where you live. It's been highly successful. We work with programs like Erasing a Reader, we also have GED programs, and we also do high dosage tutoring. And as you heard when you came in, we do Zumba. So in other words, along the whole system of health, family support, and education, we're providing that. People fill out, a, if I could wish upon a star, what do I want for myself and my families when they come in? And we help them achieve their goals and their dreams and it's a beautiful thing um, one of our members had said to me actually texted me about eight weeks ago she said Cindy this is the first time I ever felt love as an adult and I said oh my god that's beautiful and she said I don't think you're listening well we're texting so I wasn't exactly yeah listening, right, right right and um, she said I have you know my story I was adopted I was homeless I've been in an abused family um, I also have five children. And th what that meant to her is she's been to a lot of agencies. She's been around town a little bit. And she said, I certainly felt love as, with my children, but I never felt love from an organization. You see, part of what's happening is that people are developing community at these places. And that is spilling over both within their own families but into other families. We have a gentleman who, after coming, decided to go to his job. He now starts his job at 4 a.m. in the morning so he can be with his kids and family at 3 o'clock every day. So there are things like that. And so I feel that systems have often failed people. But if you give the right conditions to people, they don't fail each other. And that's what we're finding. This okay. Is, this is a beautiful thing. That's. I mean, that is just, I'm really humbled that you agreed to let me come interview. I know you were saying before the podcast that you were so impressed by what I was doing, but I'm, I'm just so impressed by what you guys are, are doing are doing here. Um, so, I mean, thanks again for, for just sharing this story. Uh, I do want to know a little bit, you did describe a little bit the programming, and I've, I've seen a lot of, of that about the, the programming that you guys do, but could you just maybe elaborate a little bit about, you know, what that might look like? Like someone comes here, uh, you know, to get assistance, you know, what is, what does that programming look like? How does, how's that structured? Uh, you know, what, how, how'd you come up with that, those kinds of things? Yeah, so we have a very clear platform of offerings that are all evidence-based because we believe everybody deserves a very, very, very best quality, right? So our platform has offerings in health, education, family support, and we've added one, which is really community, right? Neighbor to neighbor, because we all need connection. So depending on what your needs are as a family, just about everybody needs help with their kids for literacy. And so we have things like raising a reader, which helps build literacy practices at home and does 11 weeks of a book exchange. We have high dosage tutoring, which shows two and a half years of growth for kids in literacy. We also have programs for the adults and their literacy. We have ABC Mouse as well, so people can work 
at home or here, wherever they need. So we have things like that. We also have parenting classes. We have social emotional support. We have health, dental, eye. We're working on a system to um, assure well baby visits, physical health, and nutritional health. And then we also do accounting aid works with us in terms of family resources etc are those other nonprofits that are providing like the accounting or the are those kinds yes, of services we work in conjunction with 80 partners which are other not-for-profits that have great programming that we coordinate so that you're not just coming in for an eight-week program you're really with us from what we hope is belly to eight um, your family and we have people from the neighborhood who have children that are older or grandchildren that are also part of this and people that are part of this from all over because we also have a feeling that it takes neighbor-to-neighbor connections regardless of zip codes to help move the needle. With 14% of kids reading at grade level by third grade in Detroit, we have a lot of work to do, right? Um, But I am seeing for the first time really tremendous growth and movement and I think the central and essential piece of this is this is designed with for and by families they help drive it our hours are based on what the neighborhood wants and so this has become a movement we have 12 neighborhoods waiting for us to come in wow that's, um, uh, it's that's, a lot it's a lot of work right yeah we will do three more this next year but what what you're seeing is that People want something that they can get to and be at in one place. And I've learned so much along the way. I say I'm a recovering data geek because everything <laughs> I like to measure. Um, but really, it's it's simpler than that. You find people that want best for their kids and families, and you ask them, what do they want and how do they need it? And they will show you the way. And this organization is proof of that. And again, because everything is is um, evidence based, we know outcomes are being achieved across the board. We've had kids learn to talk here, kids wow. learn to read here, kids learn to write here, and also adults learn to how to deal with things like their depression, get their GED, help feel a connection. You see, our world used to have. A lot of schools in the neighborhoods and churches, etc. And if you look around, we don't have that anymore. We're becoming more disconnected. And really, people need people, and they need networks that they can depend on. And that that happens here. Okay. Well, I mean, that's. I think that that's an astute observation. That's one I've made too. Is is where are the you know, there we're closing schools in the neighborhood. You have to bus further, right? And you know, for better for worse, you know, churches aren't as as big of a fixture in the neighborhood maybe as they used to be. Um, so, I mean, it, it does sound just fantastic what you're, what you're doing here. A, a big question that I had coming in was how did you get people to want to come in that door? Yeah. Because for those of the, uh, the listeners that might know Detroit and Detroiters, I, I think really pride themselves on, you know, being self-sufficient, being able to do it on your own, you know, working hard, outworking people. So I think just with that built in mantra, perhaps it might be difficult for someone to, want to reach out for that help want to accept you know that assistance you know no matter how helpful it may be i think people just sometimes struggle with you know taking that first step so how did you was was building that through the families was that really the big thing that drove people in 
Yeah, so this is how we do it. Um, and we're learning and growing as we, we get a little bit older, right? But before we even go into a neighborhood, um, we actually talk to the neighborhood multiple times, maybe 10 to 15 times. I meet with what I would consider the neighborhood leadership and then the block clubs. And we ask them, what do they need? What do they want? Um, and so it's not even just assistance. It's a sense of connection. Um, and so by the time we have done that, like what happened in Osborne, the neighborhood is already organizing around wanting something like this we are invited in we never go into a neighborhood without an invitation so what that looks like in a neighborhood like osborne certainly we let people know when we were doing an open house door to door etc but the neighborhood themselves did that so at our open house we had 200 people from the neighborhood show up for the open house we just did a big event the other day um, for halloween we had 275 people come from the neighborhood right in the middle of the neighborhood for this event. Of course, we could not house them all in right, the house, yeah. right? Um, so it was an outdoor event. But the bottom line is it's really people telling each other. That's how most people get their information. Right, word of mouth. Look at it for both of us. But we do start by doing outreach via Facebook, also door-to-door, et cetera. But ultimately, how it gets driven is by the neighbors themselves. Awesome. And for those of you, the listeners, just a key piece of information, all the brilliant Detroit buildings, they're not office buildings. They're not, you know, there's nothing corporate about this. These You guys actually go in and refurbish old houses, right? In, that is right. The, the location you're in right now is our only, it's a former convent. It's our only building. It's our headquarters. Everything else are houses in the middle of the neighborhood. We hope that we can get houses we can fully transform. Sometimes we buy a new a house that's in a little better condition. But the idea is you transform a house, you transform a family, you transform a neighborhood. That's really our mission and our goal, and that's what we're seeing. And how that works also even from the neighborhood standpoint, I'll give you an example. Um, early on, we had we have community dinners every month. So we have a sharing in each neighborhood where everybody comes and just shares a meal. And this is a really important part of building connections. So early on, one of our participants knitted hats for everybody in the house. I thought that was amazing. I can't knit a single row. And she knitted over 40 hats for the people that were coming to the dinner. And I asked her, I said, that is beautiful. Like, but why, you know, how did you, how and why? Right, right. And she said, Cindy, I have lived in this neighborhood for over 35 years. This was my neighborhood. I raised my kids here, and then it didn't feel like my neighborhood anymore. Now it does again. I think that that described better than anything I could say or do about what happens when people come together to create something for their kids and families. It, it really is powerful. That is, I mean, so what did that what did that mean to you when you heard that and you hear these other kinds of things? Is it just further validation that what you're doing is working? I mean, what do you do internally when you receive that kind of feedback? So, you know, that's where I say I live a fairy tale. I am up at night and 14% of kids reading at grade level by third grade. I am up in the morning because of the beautiful people that I come across every single day. What that also does to me, though, is uh, 
help me understand what we need to do and how. So being a recovering data geek, sometimes we as individuals trying to do something, um, think, okay, we'll just give more programming, more of this. Sometimes what is really needed is a start. And I would say almost always is good connections between people. They need to feel loved, safety, and then people will grow and help others grow. And that's what we see. And in one of our um, staff actually said that to me is, Cindy, that, this is what we do first. And so oftentimes in an area where it is disconnected and you can't trust and it's not safe, these are havens for people. And as a result, they are able to move the needle for themselves. That is just it's a great answer. Thank you. Uh, so I do want to know a big point of this podcast is, of course, the, the businesses, the nonprofits, those things that are doing good. But also, I kind of want to know a little bit about the people behind it, right? The people behind Brilliant Detroit. So what's your background? Why, why are you why did you decide to do this? I know you you keep going on about literacy and how important that is. Uh, and I'm, I read all the time too. So I, that, that strikes a chord with me, but are you a, are you a former educator? I mean, what's the, yeah. So I, um, so a couple things about me. One is I think I've been blessed to live in about a bazillion worlds, right? Um, I am a first generation high school student. My mother was in foster homes till she was about nine because of, uh, extreme poverty. And so I have that in my background, number one. My life um, has been dedicated to helping kids, families, and community. I've, I've dedicated my whole life. I actually went to school for psychology, to, did my graduate work in psychology. I worked with kids and families. And then I also had a communications and strategy company for 20 years, okay. of which I worked with a number of not-for-profits and on a number of issues, as well as corporations. One of my clients was United Way. I ended up overseeing uh, education at United Way, which ended up being a $60 million portfolio over five years. And in that work, I really was able to see some of the things that were working well, some of the things we needed to do different. I have had and have a great belief that you need to be in neighborhood and you have to do these connections. So I had wanted to do something like that. Finding Carolyn and Jim Bellinson helped us together do that. And one of the other things here in terms of the issues, social impact issues, is sometimes it's very hard to scale. We haven't talked about that yet. And so that's been something on my mind. And I saw an, um, an organization called Magnolia Place in L.A. And their outcomes matched another organization called Harlem's Children's Zone. Harlem's Children's Zone, $20 million a year. Magnolia Place, $1.2 million. And their outcomes were very similar. And what it was, was one was so embedded in organizing the community. Both of them are excellent. What we're doing is also a model that's scalable because it's affordable. And so per person, it's about $275 a year. Wow, I did not, I would have expected much higher costs. Exactly. But we're leveraging wonderful not-for-profits, wonderful people, wonderful, a number of assets coming into this. This is a very asset-based model. And because of that leverage, we are able to deliver 
unbelievable programming and resources and results that um, are almost unheard of. And that is why we can scale up. So my background is based on how do you strategically do these things but get them to more people because it doesn't help if you're only reaching a half a percent of the population, et cetera. It certainly helps those people. So I'm, I'm not disguising that, but we need to do more, bigger, and um, deeper. So the other major factor here is along those ways, I came across a report that was put out by an organization called Child Trends on Child Outcomes. And basically what they were saying is there are some really good programs in early childhood. Nothing is coordinated and continuous. So you think about it for yourself and you're going to school. An eight-week program or a class may be the best thing in the world. It may not permanently change your life. Remember, we got in this to transform lives. And so what that requires is ongoing support, care, and resources because we're dealing with things like a high illiteracy rate or a high rate of kids not achieving and adults not achieving everything they need. 60% of kids in Detroit live in poverty. So we need a lot wide and deep and that's really what my life has been dedicated to is how do we create systems in that way. Great answer. Uh, I think that another that that really what you, your response there really leads me to to ask kind of the next question is what is what is success for you when is it when is the day when Cindy can just hang it up and say all right you know we did it I made it to the top of the mountain are are you ever going to get there or is that are you just in a never ending pursuit um, no I think we want to get there um, so a couple different things this model is meant to be national and international. Uh, what that means, I don't know, okay? Um, that That is something we're going to look into seeing if we can just give it away to others so that they can take it and move it. So what success looks like for me is in the neighborhoods we're in, the kids and families have what they need. That poverty or low income or difficult circumstances do not get in the way of them being successful generation to generation. What success looks like to me is ultimately ownership um, in terms of buy-in and perhaps even ownership into the model and having these houses are in the neighborhoods. We are not looking to own or move this. This is not something that we empower people. We believe that the power is in the neighborhood. People have power and we're just able to help um, bring it up and provide a vehicle for that to be realized. So success for me is, again, um, more kids and families having what they need, this being in more places, and more ownership at a community level. So is it fair to say then that instead of maybe bringing, I mean, I, you, you guys do bring a lot to the neighborhood, but it sounds to me like you're you're viewing it more as, the potential in the neighborhoods, it's all already there. We're just helping unlock that, that potential. Absolutely. We bring a lot into the neighborhood at the advice and help of the neighborhood. The neighborhoods and the people in the neighborhood are the ones doing the hard work, really and truly. I believe that strongly, and I see. I have never met anybody who doesn't want the best for themselves and their families. And sometimes it's just there's a lot of barriers to get there. And so we're, we're just trying to eliminate those barriers. 
That is a really, again, I'm just, I have to say it again, at, at risk of sounding like a broken record, I am really impressed by what, you know, what you guys are doing and what, what's going on. Uh, could you elaborate maybe a little bit about the people, I know you've elaborated about your partners, but maybe about some of the other people that you work with and, and who's been really impactful on your team? Yeah, so again, this has been designed to be born out of community and neighborhoods. So here's how we do this. Um, in each of our locations, we have at least one staff that's like a master's level, kind of understanding it from that standpoint, but we also hire from the neighborhood. And so our heroes are the staff. They truly are. And what we see in a number of our locations, the staff are former participants. And the idea is to grow and move everybody within our organization and others. One of the key elements that we've found along the way is it takes a lot of love and purpose. This is not a job. This is a purpose for many and all, really all of the team that are here. So we are blessed that we have people reaching out to us all the time wanting to be part of this. Um, our staff across the board is just excellent. We all have a common set of values that we serve alongside. This is not a charity. We really see that everybody has something to offer and so our heroes in the work are all of our staff and also our participants. Participants um, across the board, I can name one after the other. There's Mr. George Preston, who is in our Osborne neighborhood and has been instrumental at setting up the house. He has been tireless. He helped us find the house. He helps move the needle. Participants like Harold in our central location who without us asking, guarded the house every day and did not let my partner in the house. <laughs> um, when we were renovating the house, he said, who are you? He said, I'm Jim Bellinson. He said, I don't know who you are. Cindy and Lisa did not ask, um, tell me that you could come in. And in fact, Jim owned the house. So right. <laughs> um, it is... Uh, partners like Black Family Development, Central Detroit Christian, um, Southwest Solutions, Henry Ford Health System, um, Raising a Reader, Nurse Family Partnership, I could go on. Yes, it seems like a very extensive yeah, list of, it, I mean, it, really it, helpful people and organizations. We are built by many, and each of us have a role in moving the needle. So th that kind of tells you what we all share is passion, purpose, and the same values. And if we don't, we can't be in the work together, right? United Way and Skillman are also huge participants in this work. Um, and, and also from a funding standpoint, I have to say we have been blessed. We have over 80 funders to this work. 75% of our funding is unrestricted, which helps us keep this driven by the neighborhoods. Well, what does that mean just for the listeners? What's the unrestricted Unrestricted funding? means there's no strings attached. All that we are um, to do with that money is to make sure we have great impact. Right, so you're able to more decide at your own discretion kind of what to do. Yes. Okay. I really don't have any further questions. Uh, is there any way, like if people want to get involved, if people want to reach out, you know, how do they do those kinds of things? Yeah, so thank you. And we need tutors like crazy, just so you know. Um, so they can email us at info 
at brilliantdetroit.org. That's an easy way to get a hold of us. Um, I would love people to um, sign up for our Facebook or our Instagram so that they can continue to learn more. People can donate via our website. There's a donation button. The reality is we need everybody in some way to help put their hands and hearts together in this work. And that's what we would really encourage anybody and everybody to do. Awesome. So the website, correct, is, is it brilliantdetroit.org? Brilliantdetroit.org. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Cindy, is there anything you kind of want to add for the for the good of the order before we wrap up here? Eddie, I'm just really appreciative, and I'm appreciative of all the listeners because I just have a belief in people, and um, I'm glad to be part of this. I think uh, I think that's a good closing note. We can both definitely share in that that belief in others and the belief in in people out there. So this has been an episode of Detroiters Doing Good. Signing off. If you guys liked this, please make sure to share it on any relevant social media to you. Share it with your friends, your family, and let's help flip this news cycle and uh, talk about how great Detroit really is and, and the people that make it up.